Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only Podcast. I'm your host, John Powers. We have an exciting conversation today with Marilyn Waite, who is at the Hewlett Foundation. She's a program officer in, in the environment. But what she's working on is phenomenal sort of climate finance solutions, addressing the gaps that exist uh, both domestically but also internationally, and changing the game and, and how we can bring more capital into the solutions we need for climate change. As we talk about, Marilyn's got a, a really interesting background from uh, spending time in Madagascar to working for a French nuclear company to being part of Village Capital. She's also an author of the book Sustainability at Work. You can get that uh, linked through our website. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Marilyn, thanks so much for joining me at Experts Only. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. You've got an incredible background. I do want to talk about so many of your experiences from, from publishing a, the book Sustainability at Work to living in Madagascar and, and Princeton and Cambridge. But before we sort of go down that path, you know, I really want to explore what first got you interested in the sustainability and the sustainability place to begin with. So I'll give you a somewhat long version of that. Um, I had studied environmental engineering in university and was excited to apply some of that knowledge. So I went off to Madagascar and worked for the United Nations on water resources primarily. Um, and from there, I really experienced firsthand our energy woes, especially in emerging economies. So I went right. for a few months without really reliable, stable electricity the local utility had ran out of money and ran out of the water for the hydroelectric power. And so I was confronted head on with the challenges of providing clean, reliable energy for the masses globally. And so I kind of shifted focus from there, um, from the water sector to the, the energy sector, um, went on to study engineering for sustainable development um, and got into the nuclear energy industry. So I went to work for a recycling spent fuel plant in rural France. And from there, went through a lot of different roles, eventually working on the construction of new nuclear reactors and, and then working in corporate R&D on new energy technologies. And we were acquiring new firms that were in torrified fuel pellets for biomass and right. concentrated solar power which was a story in and of itself, offshore wind. We even had a fuel cell product at that point. And so was really working on all of these new technologies, acquisitions, technical economic studies. And it was in that position that I realized a lot of our troubles were less on the engineering and project management side and more on the financing side. So coming up against project finance, corporate finance hurdles when it comes to financing these at that time, newer technologies. Right. And so I, um, I shifted focus there. I, I kind of left France to go to China, um, did a bunch of things there, um, including a little bit of merger and acquisition work. Um, and my plan was to spend a decade in China working on these issues and mostly because of the air pollution and the investment sector being kind of closed off to foreigners, came to the United States uh, and joined Village Capital to lead their clean energy practice. And that's when I was able to take a, a deep dive on one part of this, you know, big capital 
SPAC, uh, focus on the high, higher risk part of it, venture capital or seed capital for companies, startups that were solving challenges in the transportation space, energy challenges in particular. So that the common thread there really is sustainability, really is impact around uh, the major issues of today. Um, right. And I would put climate change as, as number one for that. And then two years ago, joined the Hewlett Foundation to lead the climate and clean energy finance portfolio. Yeah, I do want to come back to that for sure. For people that are unfamiliar with with Village Capital, um, you know, Village in, is really invests in sort of early stage startups. Talk about some of the work you were doing there. I mean, you've sort of now gone from you know being in the projects themselves as an engineer to sort of looking at the opportunities in the landscape to really beginning to look at them as an investor. Right. So Village Capital has a unique model in that the the first fund uh, really focuses on peer-selected investments. So the idea that the entrepreneurs that are in the trenches doing this work day in and day out kind of know best. They understand the customers and the market and the hurdles. And so if you could get a group of peers together that are not competitors, but that are generally solving the same problem just in different ways, they would probably be the best form of diligence than an external expert committee. So I set the strategy, the kind of investment thesis for our clean energy work, and that was around increasing energy efficiency and goods movement, freight, transportation at large, and um, recruited uh, firms to take part in this peer-selected investment process. And so we made a few investments from that thesis, including Idle Smart, and um, uh, there was a, like a, a micro Trigen company as well called M Trigen, and there was also a uh, electrification of tractor company uh, mm. called Autonomous Tractor Corporation, ATC. And you know that, that was the first round of investments made from that thesis. But really, uh, the innovation there was getting these, this peer-selected input around investing, especially for these, uh, I would say, real economy sectors that matter a lot to our present-day challenges. Right. How, how did that sort of early investing viewpoint, right, as sort of emerging companies, how has that sort of helped you look at things in your sort of current role at Hewlett? So I definitely understand after that experience that not not all capital is created equal, right? right? So most of our capital available actually globally, 90% of it is in the form of bank debt, you know, loans, right. uh, lines of credit. So a lot of people working in finance actually come from that experience or let's say asset owner and manager experience. It is very difficult to get that more risk-averse capital to move into the kind of early-stage, disruptive, deep decarbonization tech needed also to solve climate change. So understanding that capital moves in different ways, has different actors, and um, is organized out there in the world. It's not just one big pile of money. It's it's actually organized on a risk-return spectrum, and it's organized... um, according to what it has been set out to do. There's a purpose and there's an expectation around how a mortgage loan book should look versus a project finance book. Right. And, so, and some economies don't even have certain asset classes, right? So in China, there really isn't this project finance or renewable energy asset class. Interesting. So I'm going to come back to the, the finance side and your experience at Hewlett. Before doing that, though, I, I definitely want to talk, you know, in... First of all, I don't even know how you found the time to do this, but you ended up publishing a book, Sustainability at Work, uh, which yes. is really interesting for folks that haven't seen it. Check it out. Uh, Sustainability at Work really is about helping folks explore careers 
that make a difference. And for many of our listeners, you know, there uh, we have we have students, we've got uh, sort of future leaders that are sort of exploring, you know, what even opportunities exist in sustainability. And it's interesting because that that even changes uh, year by year now. But you really help introduce people to different verticals like healthcare, education, media, and the law, and what they could do for sustainability. First of all, why did you think this book was important? So here I was learning about sustainability and engineering, integrating it. And eventually what happens in that, those environments is that you think everyone else knows about sustainability and engineering right. um, or whatever it is that you're applying a sustainability lens to. And so then I, I got to the, the plant, right, the reprocessing plant, and then had to, was confronted with, you know, explaining what that meant and how we were doing it, actually. Um, I, for example, was in charge of improving the overall efficiency of one of our work streams there, um, kind of a kind of a technical chemical process. And involved in that included reducing the reagents used in that chemical process and was definitely in line with making the plant more sustainable. So I was confronted with that and I thought, hmm, well, this really requires an all-hands-on-deck approach. If we are going right. to do more than just move the needle on sustainability, environmentally, socially, climate change, you name it, then it can't just be something we do at home or at our leisure. It has to be also at work. Um, and that everyone, no matter what role they're playing um, in, in, the, in their work, can have an impact. And so I started to interview people um, in different fields. So whether they were nurses or pediatricians or um, you know talk radio hosts, and asking them about how they're incorporating this in their jobs. And I just developed a thesis around that, that yes, um, it can be embedded in every single career. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be, right? If we're going to solve these problems. Um, So what advice do you give to folks that are are looking to move into the sustainability space? I would say read the book. (laughs) Yeah, read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Sustainability at work, careers that make a difference. And uh, there's a whole framework called SURF that I introduce, supply chain user relationships and feature orientation. There's also an article that's available that breaks that down. And think about you know, your strengths first as a professional, like what do you add irrespective of the company that you're in or the field you're in? What are your strengths? And apply that SURF framework and, and um, how you can actually, how you can best have the impact in the type of career that you want for yourself based on your strengths. Yeah. Interesting. So now that you've built an, a, a phenomenal career in this space, I'm going to sort of transition now to the finance side, which actually a lot of the same conversation has to happen, right? Where it's, I think there's been for a decade, um, ESG was just this um, additional metric people would occasionally look at and the climate investing was was a nice to have. Now it's becoming it's becoming mainstream, right? It's, you've got, uh, here's Larry Fink with his famous BlackRock letter that came out at the beginning of this year. But you have um, even uh, Jim Cramer came out uh, came out this month with you know basically saying that oil oil stocks are on their death now because money <laughs> managers and young investors aren't putting their money into it. It's a, an amazing statement from a guy like Jim Cramer. So oh, I I agree with that. <laughs> how how are you seeing um, how are you seeing climate finance begin to move? Uh, move mainstream? I mean, we, we need a trillion annually to get to our goals. Are, are, we, are we on the right path? Yeah. So, you know, climate finance is really about financing used to fund solutions that mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. There is a data problem here. Um, I will use 
the CPI, Climate Policy Initiative data, which, which says that we have just over 500 billion USD deployed annually um, and globally to solve climate change. Um, but you're right, we need to at least triple that. Um, yeah. And we are, there's a gap. What, where was that so, data point from again? CPI, Climate CPI, Policy yeah. Initiative. Yeah. And that, that data is improving year on year. But there's one of the gaps that I would mention would, would be transparent data and disclosure, which we need more of right. to really track this more closely. Um, so we, we there, there definitely are positive signs coming from all of the different pools of capital, whether you're on venture, private equity, asset owners and managers, including insurance, pension, and mutual funds, and the banks and lending. Um, but there is a lot more work to do. And the particular gaps on the banking and lending side are, are flagrant. Uh, and uh, also when it comes to passive asset management. Um, now, the trend is positive, but we have to accelerate that trend and we have to really um, move quickly um, and smartly to decarbonize our, our financing and investing. And, and how do you see sort of the philanthropy role here? And, and can you talk a little bit about the work at Hewlett and, and why Hewlett is looking at this? Yeah, so philanthropic dollars are interesting because they are very flexible. There are not a lot of rules around them and they are by nature unaccountable, right? So it's, it's the part of the economy that is probably the least accountable. If you're in government, you have your your citizens. Um, if you are in business, you have your uh, customers and shareholders and other stakeholders. Um, philanthropy is, sits in this interesting apart place. Um, the opportunity of that is that you can uh, be very flexible. You can experiment. Um, you can take a lot of risk. So that is something that we're doing. We are um, dedicating uh, at least 75 million US dollars over five years to support mobilizing capital for climate solutions. We are really focusing on three markets with that. So where the capital is domiciled in China, the European Union, and the United States. And we are also focusing on certain pools of capital, um, venture, because we still need things like seasonal storage and right. direct air capture. Um, and there's a lot of the hard to decarbonize things like steel and cement and chemicals. And so we need that higher risk pool. We are focusing a lot on asset owners and you know, the other managers. We just issued a request for proposal or RFP around passive asset management. So now more than half of equities in the U.S. are traded using uh, passively managed index funds. Um, it's also about a half in Asia, about a third in Europe, and it's just growing. Hmm. And that's not just on the stock side, also on the bond side. So including debt instruments, fixed income. And then uh, a huge focus, I'd say the number one focus is on banks and lending and credit because they are so systemically embedded in the economy. Um, and because so, many, so much of the solutions that have to be scaled are bankable and require lending and lines of credit. Um, so a, a big focus there. Um, I can give you some examples of the types of things we're doing in each category. So on the, the venture side, we have supported uh, the Prime Impact Fund, which has a climate first thesis, the gigaton right. thesis on the, we're kind of looking for what to do, for example, in the Chinese economy and equivalent to that perhaps. And when you we say supported, are, does that mean you guys are putting capital right into that? Or are yes. you supporting so the emerging the emergence of the thesis? I guess. You know. uh, so three million into the fund. Oh, um, 
directly into kind of this very um, important kind of in the in the supply chain of capital and getting these different technologies and interventions uh, scaled uh, commercially viable um, at the price point they need to be to be commercially viable, kind of very important capital that is tied to follow on capital as well. On the asset owner manager side, we just issued this RFP that I mentioned that, you know, really is seeking to, for example, have all of the default options for our retirement plan be low carbon options, be Paris aligned, right. uh, fossil fuel free, all of those things. Um, and so that, you know, there isn't this money flowing inadvertently, but <laughs> even without our consent to our own demise, right? To, to really um, hurt the planet and our economy. And then on the banking side, lending, um, there we have, for example, supported, meaning directly with their balance sheet, the Clean Energy Federal Credit Union, which is a new uh, credit union in the United States dedicated to clean energy lending. So they have kind of the lowest rates for NEV and for ground source heat pump, air source heat pump, solar, uh, distributed solar um, in terms of uh, residential. And um, other are they, are they lending to individuals and corp- to companies to developers they are currently lending to, at the residential level so oh, to households um so a brief one-on-one on the credit unions uh credit yeah. unions are um democratically owned or member owned um they are on the front lines of really retail lending in the country um, so they are embedded in like politically conservative to progressive districts alike. They are trusted by people um, across all kinds of demographic demographics. They represent roughly over one trillion U.S. dollars of AUM, and so even impacting ten percent of their lending uh, for clean energy is important, especially since right. we need all hands on deck for this. So yes, they are. They can also lend to small and medium-sized businesses. They are a new credit union, so that they have a few years to go in the regulatory framework before they can do that lending for SMEs. But they are also selling their loan participation to other credit unions from Texas to Montana to Oklahoma um, so that they can begin to do this kind of lending too. So it's kind of a, it's not just them, it's also scaling it through the credit union system. Um, yeah, so they're open for deposits. <laughs> right. You want to open a savings or CD with them, and they're also open for for grant capital, so that they can um, scale at the you know at the speed we need them to. So that's an example. Something else that crosses these different assets and pools of capital are is something called the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials, or PCAF, and that is really getting to that data and uh, disclosure that I was mentioning. So essentially, it's an industry-led initiative. So banks and asset managers coming together in, in working groups across the globe to harmonize an approach for measuring and disclosing um, not the carbon footprint of their brick-and-mortar uh, branches, but of their actual core business, which is the financing. So measuring and disclosing the finance emissions per asset class. So whether it's uh, project finance, listed equity, um, auto loans, mortgages, commercial real estate, you name it, across the asset classes, what is it, what are the tons of uh, carbon dioxide equivalent associated with those loans and investments? And then begin to manage that those numbers and data, um, create new products that address it, and uh, begin to decarbonize the portfolio using that now newly available data. 
Interesting. And then when you are investing in sort of this, by the way, an amazing array, right? From early stage capital to really sort of transforming the data around the markets. Is he publishing or or helping educate folks uh, on what they're seeing out there? I mean, obviously you're out there doing things like this podcast, but, um, you know, is there a role that he plays in that education? Yeah, so we make everything publicly available that we do fund, but you have to know we exist, which most people in the world don't know we exist, right? right. Um, no one kind of just automatically goes to our website. So the impact we have really is through what we fund and kind of enable them to communicate what they're doing is what we try to do best. We're extremely lean Lisa. So our capacity to educate really is through um, enabling the different initiatives that we, we fund to communicate what they're doing. Oh, that's fascinating. So um, now sort of stepping out of the, just the pure um, Hewlett role and sort of looking at the broader market, right? We've got, like we talked about the early the beginning of this podcast, an amazing sort of set of trends that we're really beginning to see. And, you know, I always go to Bloomberg New Energy Finance for, for data, but whether you're there or um, you look, obviously Larry, Larry's, Larry's Fink's uh, letter, you've got the green bond space is just booming. You've got FinTech solutions moving forward, married to a sort of transformation that's happening in at least the U.S. public acceptance of climate as an issue, thanks to the efforts of folks like uh, like Greta, right, who are mm-hmm. sort of raising the, the culture of awareness and really stamping down the, the debate anymore. Uh, so, you know, if, if the last decade was about sort of setting the stage for addressing our climate challenges, like what do you sort of see really moving the needle over the next decade? I think you mentioned something very key. You mentioned uh, kind of the, the movement of the masses and the youth voice. I think the voice of consumers in finance has been missing. Right. And we need to amplify that. And if we amplify that, that is that is going to take us over the scale. That, that will be the, one of the tipping points. So I think, you know, you have you and I having a bank account being this passive transactional thing where it doesn't matter. I think those days have to be over, right? right. So our our money is doing something. It's being leveraged by at least fifty to one, if not more, to do go out and finance things. And those things can either harm society or help. So we have to make that known to the world and to financial institutions that this matters and and move our our money accordingly. Um, in a very simple way, but also a- according to those values and make that that consumer voice heard. Um, so I think that will be a, a big part of um, this, this next decade and really helping us get to that tipping point. Um, I also think disruption um, in, a, in a good way this time will be helpful. I'm not sure, for example, that Vanguard has ever made an acquisition. And I think you know, this could be <laughs> one of its first things to do is right. to actually, you know, there's, 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 there are products out there, there are new companies emerging, uh, whether it's Etho Capital or New Day or all of these, um, you know, uh, open invest that are aligning with this new society that we have to have if we're going to um, solve climate change. And I think there's, there's room for that disruption, this disruption, disruption by itself, but also to be incorporated in the mainstream larger players today. Interesting. So. With with that, you've got some of the larger players, right? The the pension funds and the 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 endowments who have been saying the right things now for for years and doing the right things on the the divesting. But you're not seeing as many yet taking the active 
investing space, right? Where they're actually their, their actual money managers are putting money into assets uh, or, or climate uh, focused infrastructure. Do you expect that to change here in the 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 next few years? Yes, I would say what you said is true in certain economies, but not in others. So I would say, for example, in China, there's actually been a lot on the invest side, right? True, very yeah. little on the divest side. So yeah. it it can like both simultaneously, you know, the biggest in terms of the, the capital that's almost out there, biggest financiers of both climate destruction and renewable energy, right? So um, right. we've got to change that across the board. Um, it, it, there's not one without the other. We have to decarbonize and mobilize the capital for these solutions. And it's not just energy. It's also in agriculture. So we have to shift from the current status quo of industrial uh, um factory farms to regenerative agriculture, um, increasing soil soil carbon um, sequestration in land and soil, um, which also leads to, of course, healthier products and products, move from annual to perennials. All of those things have to happen. Um, We also have, you know, transportation. We have to, you know, high-speed rail is well built out in China and Europe. It's a complete gap in the United States. Totally, yeah. Um, So... Really, market by market, these shifts have to happen, and it makes economies more competitive in, in the medium and long run anyway. No, that's a great, so. great international perspective. I think I have a tendency to look at things domestically. And of course, you know, the Canadian pensions, the European pensions, and others are just doing really phenomenal stuff. And, and our folks here are, are, we have the right path. I think we, we, from clean capital's perspective, another is like, want to see more capital flowing, right, uh, into these deals. So my last question, because uh, I know we've got a, a tight time here, is uh, is a pretty standard question I ask all my guests. And if you could go back to sit down with yourself coming out of, of, of college or out of, out of high school and give yourself you know, one piece of career advice, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. One piece of career advice out of college. I would just say be curious about not only topics, but also the people in front of you. Right. Really interesting. Marilyn, thank you so much for, for your time today and your, your incredible work. Thank you, John. And for folks that are, that are interested, you can get sustainability at work, uh, obviously on Amazon, but also at Marilyn's website, which is uh, Marilyn Waite, and it's W-A-I-T-E.com. We'll have a link from Clean Capital's website. You can always get more episodes of Experts Only at cleancapital.com. And please share any thoughts on future interviews. I'd like to thank our producer, Kali Batten, for her, her help setting this up. And as always, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you. 